Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Six Ways from Sunday podcast. My name is Ben Wilson, and this week on the show, I have a very special guest named Paul Andrew, and Paul is joining me over Zoom from Yellowknife, and Paul describes himself as a student of Dene spirituality. He's been referred to as others as an elder, but being a very humble person, he prefers to think of himself as a student. So, Paul, first of all, welcome to the Six Ways from Sunday podcast, and thank you so much for sharing some time with me today. And thank you, Ben, for uh, inviting me to be here. So, first off, tell me why that that word student is meaningful for you in terms of your your spiritual journey. Because I, I love learning. I love learning no matter what culture it is. But um, I particularly... put a lot of emphasis on what does it mean to be Dene? Just like asking a Canadian, what does it mean to Canadian? And it's a lot deeper than hockey. It's a lot (laughs) deeper than Canada. And that's what I try to find out is is that trying to find out what it means to be Dene. And no matter who you're talking to or what it is that you're talking about, you find that it becomes deep. And that's where the spirituality comes in. So there's really just no end to that journey, it sounds like. That's the way my elders have always described it. What I have noticed with the elders, and we're talking about somebody in their 70s and 80s and 90s, who are still sitting with people and listening and learning all the time, who are always looking for wisdom, always looking for knowledge. Because one of the things that, that makes us good people, what we believe, is we become good people by being others-oriented. If you do your own thing, you're going to run into trouble. So what, so what we try to do is really work with other people. But that's just a part of it. And mm-hmm. that's what they're always trying to teach me, is that I always be open to the sky, to the wind for example, or to the birds that are out there. Mm, so many places we can look for for lessons, life lessons and spiritual lessons. So you raised a question just now, Paul, that I was going to ask you, which is, what does it mean to be Dene? So I, I'm somewhat familiar with what the Dene Nation is, but I think a lot of Canadians are not, or they've maybe heard the term, but they they're not really sure what it means or where... Um, where the Dene Nation exists and what kind of region it represents. Can you give me a bit of an understanding and give our listeners a little bit more understanding about what it means to be Dene and what Dene Nation means? Well, the Dene, we go a long ways. We're fairly uh, scattered uh, along a big geographic area, all the way from Alaska to northern Alberta and BC, right into the Yukon. and. Along the way, somebody divided us up and, and called us different names. But now we're getting back to the point where we are called calling ourselves Dene. And for example, uh, Dene Sustine, that's how people in the um, Saskatchewan area call themselves. And northern Alberta would be Dene So we have all that. So we're talking a big, a big geographic area. The population is not as big, but if there's anything that we have in common is 
is definitely spirituality. And uh, I think one of the things that we're learning from each other is that uh, the commonality of our language, the commonality of lifestyle, and definitely the commonality in the way we pray and the way we receive knowledge and the way we relate to not just people, but the environment. Mm. That's obviously such a core piece of uh, not only the spirituality, but the culture. Of course, the two are totally intertwined. But so it sounds to me then, Paul, that it's not, um, Dene is not a tribe, but more a term that has come to represent a people that that includes multiple tribes. Is that right? Yes. And we have always been a nation. And we have always looked at ourselves as Dene. And um, like I said, somebody else has divided us into regions, into territories, and and for their own good, not necessarily ours. And and so, but we cover a big area, and we've always have seen it. And within that Dene nation, there might be people who greet Gwich'in. What upon the time that it, um, in English, English they used to call them. Lushu hmm. or King Chong. Uh, once upon a time, they used to be called Dogwins and so forth, North and South Slavey. So they're divided into, like I say, different names in different regions. But we have always, our elders have always looked at each other as brothers and sisters and always has uh, had a lot of respect for each other along those lines. So one of the things that we have to relearn now as part of our Dene spirituality is that no, we're not different territories. We're not different regions. We're mm. one people. It was such a powerful thing to kind of reclaim that uh, that sense of identity, I suppose. Because that's what makes us Dene, and then that's what makes that's the core of who we are. And at that core, when you look at that core, that's where the spirituality lies. And and for me, that's why that's where the religious organizations did the most damage to indigenous people, because that's what they went after. That's what they went mm. after at the core, you know. And and so we lost where we were because we did not have that spirituality, because we did not have the core of what it is that we are. And mm. and 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 so. Um, now, I think what we're trying to do is trying to find that what does it make us to be Dene? We've got the same skin, we've got the same hair color, but so what makes us different? And that's what I think we're looking for. So it's, it's a journey that, uh, of curiosity and exploration, even for yourself as an elder and other elders. You mentioned people... Um, within the Dene Nation that are in their 70s and 80s and 90s that are still seeking wisdom and still still reconnecting with their own and their ancestors as well, right? Like this goes back, the Dene Nation is thousands of years old, correct? Yes, yes. And, and, and you never stop learning. You never stop uh, seeking knowledge because we want to be the best we can be. And we want to take as much from other people as we can. And this mm. is this is all all time knowledge, always uh, learning, you know. And and the gifts that we're given is all free, so we give it away for free. 
That's the obligation that we have, is that whatever gift that we have been given, you know, if you talk to the elders, say, they will say, you might think I'm smart, but this is not mine. This is what I re receive from my elders, something they've got back from thousands and thousands of years. So that's basically what we do, is that we try to collect as much as we can, and then we pass it on to others. It really is incredible that that's even possible, you know, when you think about humanity and how one individual person is here on the on this earth for such a short time, you know, 70 or 80 or 90 years, if you're really fortunate, um, and if you're really lucky to live a long, uh, long life, but but in the in on the scale of thousands or tens of thousands of years of culture being passed along, one person's lifetime is just so short that it, it seems like it would be, it would be so easy for, for some of that to be lost between, from one generation to the next. Um, yes. But what, so what is it that uh, within your culture and within that spirituality that maintains that sense of continuity or that ensures that it is passed along to the next generation? Well, the, the one thing that, that, if there's one thing that they have, the elders have tried to teach us is to be humble human beings. Because if you're humble, then you're open. Mm. You're humble, you're willing to learn, you're willing to listen, you're willing to be courageous. But if you think you know everything, or you know there's all to know, then you shut out your ears and your eyes and you talk too much. <laughs> and then then you can't learn. The person who talks too much can't learn because they're not listening. So those are the things that they try to teach us. And when I was a kid, we didn't have computers. We didn't have books. We didn't have how to. So if you wanted to learn the basics of life, the basics of spirituality, you have to listen. You have to sit there and, and listen for two, three hours. It was not unusual for somebody to sit for three, four hours at the feet of an elder without interrupting. That's the way it was, because that's the only way you can learn. Wow. One of the, one of the things the elders always tell us is that people think too fast, are thinking all the time. So you have to remind them again and again. You know, and I, I'm sure I was one of those that had to reminded, be reminded a number of times. Well, there's a lot of uh, elements of what you're describing, Paul, I think that sort of remind me of some of the principles of uh, some of the Eastern forms of spirituality, like Buddhism and um, just the principles of meditation, where you're taught to slow down the mind and just be present and just sit in st in that stillness um, and and listen, right? And to to slow down that that constant chatter that goes on in inside our heads, it's a distraction. It gets, it's like, it gets in the way, right? It yeah. sounds a little bit similar to me in, in that sense. And, and if they have the connection to the earth, then yes, I would say that it's very similar. Mm. Because what they try to teach us is that, um, is that you learn from everything, including the mosquitoes, including the big animals. So if you hear the elders pray, you will always hear them say, Creator, take care of the small animals. 
take care of the ones who live in and on earth, those in the water and those in the sky. That's the first they always pray for mm. because they know, you know, our legends tell us that our animals were our teachers. We learned everything we know from the animals and we still learn from animals. I don't know, you know, when that tsunami, tsunami happened in Japan, there was a lot of indigenous people escaped that because they were following the animals. They saw that the animals were going away, flying away, and they knew that something was up. Oh, and that's wow. the same thing up here with us. If you're traveling and you see you're walking in the bush and you see uh, birds flying around or, or the chatter of a squirrel, for example, you know that there's something else going on because yeah. by then you're walking and they know you. And if something else comes along. So that's the kind of stuff, you know, and, and it comes from the earth. They call Mother Earth because Mother Earth is giving. So we yeah. always have to respect that. So that's the thing. And the Source connected. of life. Yeah. So those are some really practical examples, Paul, of, of sort of the inherent wisdom that lies within the natural world and uh, creatures from large to small. Um but I, I know that there's also a lot of, um, a lot of uh, myth and symbolism and, and story that's used uh, to teach some of those lessons that tie into the natural world as well, right? Like, um, even just from the, the creation story. Do you, do you have any examples or favorite, favorite lessons that tie into... Um, a particular animal or to the natural world that, that you would maybe share with um, a grandchild or with someone in your community? Almost every place in the north, they have what they may call sacred areas. And that area, that area comes back from stories that go way back. Beside our, my town where I was born, there's a big rock. They called it Bear Rock. And on it, there's three symbols, three very obvious symbols. And uh, what the elders tell us is that it was from the days of Yamorija, would be, would be almost around uh, the time of creation. And what Yamorija did was that he cleaned it up so that Dene can live because of all the animals that were there. And those three symbols are beaver skins, and they're still there today. If you went to Tulita, you will see it there today. And it's a reminder for not only us who live there, but also everybody else that, yes, here is where you come from, wow. and here is where you'll go back to. In so, yes, and we have a. This is just one story. There's a whole bunch of other stories that that reminds us about our tradition and where we come from. In uh, in our area here in central Alberta, the beaver pelt has a lot of connection, obviously, to um, the history of indigenous people, but also of settlers and non-indigenous people. Um, are there are there specific stories that tie? to uh, lessons that 
uh, a particular animal is there to to kind of teach us that that come to mind for you or any favorites like like the beaver or any others well there there's a whole bunch of them again you know again it you follow that particular story uh, almost every animal had the uh, a history that was um that was in conflict with the Dene, for example. And the way they destroyed Dene was because of their size. They were dinosaurs, essentially. And and what, what the Aborija did was that gave them their roles also. So we talk about big beavers. And scientists in the North are finding evidence of big beavers. We're, we're, and, and those things have always been part of our history. You know, like for... Raven, for example, is, 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 is a big part of our history because um, Raven has both positive, funny, crazy stories, you name it all. And it's all about Raven. There's one story where he painted all the animals, all the birds, sorry, and, and, and because he wanted to give them all their roles. And he wanted to be the last and the most beautiful. And they couldn't satisfy him. So they repainted him over and over again, and, and he wasn't satisfied. Somebody else, somewhere else, was still more beautiful. So what they did was they took coal from the fire, and they put coal all over him. And that's why he's as black as he is today. There's a lot <laughs> of lessons in that story, you know? Yeah, I'm, there's a lot there that you could unpack. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's, it's funny, and it would be like entertaining for a story for kids. But how do you then add those layers of meaning when, and when, if the objective is to is to try to transfer some of that spiritual knowledge and insight and wisdom to the next generation? Um, how would you communicate a story like that and and unpack sort of some of its value, or or is that something that's not really um, that you're not specifically setting out to do, and you and you just convey the story and hope that that the story lives on in the next generation and they kind of find their own wisdom from it? Like how does how does that work? Well, there's a number of number of things. One is that uh, we the elders have always told us that we don't all hear the same. So it's very possible that we hear the same story and different people get different lessons from that. And that's totally fine. And there's no right or wrong answers. So it's not like a test where you fail. Right. So whatever you hear is is where you're at in life, and that's fine. And And this particular story, for example, for me, the humor is one of it. Humility is another one, and and strength is another one. Wisdom and honesty; those are the kind of stuff that I can take away from that listening to that particular story. Mm. And it's those values, it's those core values that makes you Dene. And the more of those positive stuff that you get out of a story like that, the more spiritual you can become. So one of the things that they always have tried to tell us and 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 they they will never tell the story once. It depends on you. They decide this person needs that story, and they tell us that story. For up to us as students to find out now why that particular story. 
Why why is he telling me that story now? What did I do, say yesterday, didn't do, didn't say yesterday or today that that required this particular story? And that's up for, for us. Again, wherever you come up with whatever answer you come up with at that time, it's fine. Yeah, that's such a beautiful uh, way to learn, I think, isn't it? Where the the responsibility is also on the person who's seeking that wisdom, that you, you have to go through that process of seeking and asking questions and sitting in silence and listening in order for you yourself to to be given that wisdom, to, to receive that gift. It's not mm-hmm. just, oh, here you go and memorize this lesson and here's the value in it. And like our way of, our way of learning in Western culture and in Western kind of education, uh, the format is sort of, here are the facts and memorize the following numbers and statistics and dates and information and use, you know, the power of repetition to make sure that you're going to remember it. But there isn't that same um, that same sense of you have to go on sort of a quest for it. It's very it's a very different model, mm-hmm. and and that's one of the reasons that we became so confused because of just what you described. And there's many many other instances where where it is confusing. Time, for example, who decided that um, Sunday was Sunday? And Monday was Monday. Who decided when the month started? Who decided when the year ended? And and so it all depends on it. The way we do it is by the moon. Right. Everything is about by the moon. And somebody else decides. So there's a lot of confusion. For example, the uh, the idea of um, uh, looking at time. Well, I just talked a little bit about time. For example, even studying a tree, a Western scientist might look at that tree and take it apart and look at its leaves and, and all that kind of stuff. Indigenous scientists will look at that tree and say, what does it con- contribute to life? What does it contribute to that meadow? What does it do for the squirrel? What does it do for the other animals? That's how they look at it. So instead of st- uh, studying that one tree, they look at the whole meadow. And consequently, yeah. they, what they teach us is our connection to that particular tree, our that, responsibility yeah. for that particular tree. That's really cool. I, I think that one of the, the failings or the weaknesses of the modern scientific method is that it, it often will look at things in or attempt to look at things in isolation, which we we know we're learning doesn't work whether you're talking about the natural world and ecology the ecology of a species or an ecosystem or a habitat or whether you're talking about um a human being's mental health or the health of something like the the justice system or education like we were just talking about if you pick things apart and you pull them you rip them apart and look at them in isolation you end up with uh, this skewed understanding and, and false conclusions that, that don't work when you put it back into the, into the bigger picture or put it back into the whole. And so that tradition of, of looking at the whole picture and looking at things as being connected in a web of life 
and having not having a right and a wrong answer. It's it's very foreign to to the way I grew up and to the way most non-Indigenous people would would think about trying to understand the world around them. Yeah, and and even the role of man, for example. You know, I think it's Genesis that talks about uh, man shall be the boss of everything. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and what we heard in our teachings is that probably man is the least important of all. Hmm. If, if we go away, all go to Mars, Earth will do wonderful. Probably even better than anybody has ever expected it to be. I don't know what it's like around your during this pandemic, but the air is so much wonderful now than ever before because we're not going outside anymore. And less, yeah, less air travel, less pollution. Yeah, you know, and, and, and so from our teachings, you know, Earth is number one, animals and everything else in it, and then somewhere along there, it's man. So we depend on Earth. We depend mm. on the world, not the way, other way around. We're not the boss. It doesn't depend on us. Yeah, we've yeah. we've got it so backwards, haven't we? The the uh, I think the traditional way of interpreting it, that Christian uh, creation story in the Bible is exactly like you said that man uh, was created last and to have dominion over all the other creatures in the Garden of Eden, right? But um, I've I've heard our minister in our church here in the Bashi United Church and the Pinocchio United Church. His name's Robin, and I really like his approach, which is more that humanity is uh, responsible for a sense of nurturing and taking care of the land that we live on and the, um, the nature that we interact with. So this sense of stewardship of the earth, not, um, not a sense of ownership and control over it. Yeah, and I think, I think that's, that's the kind of teaching that we have. You know, especially in the South, you will, you will hear the term, all my relations. You will hear somebody praying, or or when they're saying goodbye, they will say all my relations, and that's to acknowledge everything around, including the mosquitoes, including the moose, including the trees, because we're related to everything here. Mm. The only way we do good is if the, if the whole world around us do good. If the if Mother Earth suffers, we suffer. So we have an obligation, a responsibility to take care of our relations. And it just doesn't mean human relations. It means everything else in the world. And even though we don't save all my relations, we definitely, sekotina, sekotina means all my relations too. Yeah. Hmm. So part of, part of our job, part of Danny's spirituality is number one, to take care of elders, they're the most important people. They're more than teachers. They're spiritual guides. They're professors. They're everything that you want in life because they have been humble. They have learned so much in their lives, and now they have become elders and ready to give back what they have been given. So they are revered. And, and then the second is always the gift from the creator is always the disabled and the orphans. 
our job is to look after those two groups on a regular basis all the time. And then the third group of people is the young ones, the little mm. babies. So one of the things that you always hear the elders, and I'm learning this more and more, and trying to do this more and more, is that every time I try to teach something, every time I talk about whether it is climate change or reconciliation or uh, being a good person, it is always about my grandchildren. It was always about the children that's coming after us. It's not, it's never about us. It's never about us. You know, one of the questions that I've heard some Holocaust survivors ask is that, what would I say if my, my grandchildren asked me, what did you do with my future? I love that because that's the question that my elders try to instill in me is that what did I do for the young people? Everything that we do and how we treat this this world, how we treat each other, uh, fellow human beings, there's this kind of ripple effect that will go on through throughout the rest of time, right? And and it will impact our children and their children. And it's it's an intimidating thought to think that the way we behave and the way we live out our beliefs and the way we interact with the world around us, the natural world and, uh, and everything else, it, it will have a lasting impact forever. And that's what makes life great. And that's what makes life interesting. Because one of the things that, one of the knowledge that I'm seeking, for example, in the South, I think it's the Iroquois, who, who talk about making decisions that will, and how will it impact people seven generations down. And I would love to learn that. Yeah. Because again, those are the kind of things that our elders are trying to teach us, is, is first and foremost, don't think about yourself. Always what kind of thing it's going to make on us. You know, and, and, and for me, this is the kind of thought that makes a person and what they want us to be more than anything else is good people. And what I think now is that as I learn more about other cultures, no matter what culture you come from, no matter where you come from, I think we all want our children to be good people. Now, how do we become good people? That's where I think we differ a little bit. There's thoughts, for example, that if you have the right house, if you have the right car, if you marry to the right people, you're going to be a good person. Whereas somebody else, like I mentioned earlier, if you look after the three groups of people, you're going to be a good person. Somebody else might say it's the environment that makes us good people. You know, but, but how do we break it together so that these good people can make decisions on what happens seven years down the road. Mm. So seven generations, right? And, and yeah. that's such a long period of time. We're, we, uh, I think it's common to think about your kids and obviously your grandkids. So that a couple of generations. Um, and, and we'll think, when we think about our ancestors, we'll, we'll maybe think about a couple of generations, two or three generations, but seven generations, is a, it's, it's hard to wrap your head around. It, but, but, you know, what our story, like I tell you about Yamorisha, they sent, the elders at that time sent out Yamorisha to fix the world 
because they said if it discontinues the way it is, we're going to have no more people. We're going to, the, the people are going to get wiped out. So we can't have that. They're thinking about you and me. Really? Well, I, I'm thinking back to what you said earlier, that if there were no more humans on this planet, the Earth would be very happy and would probably heal itself and and start to thrive and regain some of its, you know, biodiversity and species. We're, we're losing spe- uh, species of wildlife all the time because of directly because of human impact. So we we think that we're the most important species on the planet, but um, I love what you said earlier that you know maybe we're not, maybe we're maybe we're the least of all. When one of the well I mean, for us, let me stop you there. For us, sure, it's not maybe, it is. It's it's a truth, yeah. And and I think that it would do all of us, um, it would do us a lot of good for the rest of us in other cultures to embrace that that idea. One of the most um, one of the most basic questions from any culture that we ask ourselves as humans is why are we here and what is the purpose of life? What's what's the meaning of life, right? And it's such a subjective thing. It's different for everybody. Even if you decide that that the meaning of life is to just live a good life, then uh, how do we do that? And that's a subjective question. Or the meaning of life is to be happy. Well. It, happiness and success are, are words that don't mean the same thing to, to different people either. But in your, in your culture, in, in the Dene culture and spirituality, why do you believe that, that we are here, especially if we are a species that is doing so much damage to each other historically and even still today, and so much damage to the planet when we're not living in, in harmony with nature? What is the the uh what is the the real reason for us to to even be here what's the what's the point of life i suppose one of the things that um, i'm trying to learn a lot about is that the whole question about not about what does it mean what does life mean but what is what why is paul here which is different Mm. Because, and and for me, what I have to do is concentrate on me. And because one of the things that that the elders tell us that we all have different roles. For example, Wayne Gretzky may have been a hockey player, but he he could have been a taxi driver. He could have been a doctor, but that's not his gift. His gift was to play hockey, and he wasn't a bad hockey player. <laughs> but Wayne Gretzky did not become a great hockey player by himself. First and foremost, he had to recognize that he had a gift, he had a role, he had a responsibility, and then he had to start working on that. And and if you ask Mr. Gretzky, he'll probably say there have been many, many people in my life who have helped me to get to where I am. Mm-hmm. Without those people, with just the skills and the abilities alone, I wouldn't have been able to do that. And and that's my role in life, is to find out what it is that gift that, that I have been given. And am I living it to my full potential? Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Or am I some decided that I don't want to be a hockey player, I want to be a, a taxi driver? 
and 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 I'm, and as a result, am I robbing myself and others the privilege of watching me play hockey? And those are the kind of things that you know. And one of the things that the elders have always knew, for example, by the time you're two or three years old, one of the things that happens first of all is that they start singing to you while you're still in your mother's womb, so that you you can start knowing where your role is. They start singing different songs and telling you stories. So oh, by really? the time you're born, you have an idea of where it is yet. And they, the elders, know that this is going to be a hunter, a philosopher, a dreamer, a healer. And then that's what they they, they start teaching that person. They start start nur- grooming. Right. Start grooming nurturing those abilities. According to the gift that he's given. Wow. And then that's our that's what our responsibility is. And and so what our responsibility is to live that gift to the best of our abilities. I've always wanted to be an elder because they were everything that I I, I wanted to. I played hockey, I played ball, I played music, I do a lot of things, I like it but I want to be an elder because I believe now that's what my gift is, is to be an elder. And, mm-hmm. and, and so that's what, that's what we, that's what they tell us to concentrate on. You know, this whole question about what life is all about. Yeah. Why do a person die at two years old? He can't talk about, he or she can't talk about life. Why does a person live to be 100 years old? They can talk about life. And is that fair? Those things happen. I don't know the answer to that. And as far as I know, the answer, the elders that I talk to never have the answer to that. Too. So they don't concentrate about what life, what the meaning of life is. Concentrate on what's your role, what's your gift, and develop that to its fullest. Wow, that's awesome. And, and really taking on that responsibility of creating that meaning and living into that potential, living into those gifts. Yes, yes. You know, if, if you look, I, I used to work for the CDC, and one of the things that we were told as, uh, as uh, doing research is that there, you'll always find an expert in something, whether it is somebody repairing bicycles or somebody spent 60 years in hockey or in music, there's always an expert in something, you know? So one of the things that we try to do all the time is is that. So, yeah, we all have gifts. Our job is to deliver on that gift. Hmm. Um, I, I love that we're talking about um, some of these stories of of Dene spirituality and and uh, some of the the aspects of culture that you're sharing are, are, are just things that I've never heard about before. And right now, um, we're getting ready to celebrate on this coming Sunday, June 14th, is Indigenous Day of Prayer uh, within the United Church of Canada. We, we, uh, we place importance on celebrating aspects of Indigenous culture on that day of Indigenous Day of Prayer. And then the following Sunday, 
June 21st is Indigenous Peoples Day within Canada, of course, and you'd know about that. Um, I, I think that sharing these stories, and especially when we mark these, you know, we have these days kind of uh, set aside for that purpose of honoring and, mm-hmm. and learning more about these stories, that that is such a powerful way of increasing people's awareness um, like I said earlier at, at the beginning, I think there's a lot of people in Canada that would have almost zero knowledge about Dene Nation at all, let alone, um, and maybe that's because there aren't uh, Dene people in their community. Uh, maybe it's because the Indigenous people in that part of Canada are are some of the other uh, tribes and other nations that they maybe would hopefully be more familiar with. I know where we live, we have several, but I have to admit my ignorance there too, that I, I don't, I know a little bit more about uh, maybe Cree than I would about Dene culture and customs, but even the Cree or the Blackfoot or the Sioux or, um, or Tsitsika that are more local to, to our area here in central Alberta, there's so much of it that I'm just completely unaware of. How do you, uh, how do you think we can do a better job as non-Indigenous people to embrace Indigenous culture and, and learn more about Indigenous spirituality? Well, first of all, the thing that we're doing right now is dialogue. And, and, and that's, that's the key. I think, I think, you know, and personalize it. This is not, again, this is not the question about what is life. Take it down to what does it mean to me and how am I going to accomplish that? Mm. And, and because it's important that we look at people, we look at human beings. How would, I don't know anything about you. I don't know if you have a partner or children, but how would you like to have a relationship with them? And how do you develop that relationship with that, those persons? And how, how do you keep that relationship? And and that's the, that's the way to look at other people. You may and and again on a personal level, you might disagree with somebody, but does that mean you sever the relationship? I hope not. You don't understand something. Does it mean you sever a relationship? I hope no. What do you try to do? I hope that if you have a personal relationship with somebody, that you would have a dialogue with them, and that you would try to. Uh, Try to one of the things that the elders always told us is to accept people just the way they are. Mm. And 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 you know, in my days I, I may have done some crazy things, but the elders were always there for me. So they lived that. They lived accepting people. Free of judgment. Yeah. And and so that's that's the kind of thing that we need to do nowadays is that mm. Because if we're serious about reconciliation, if, if then then there's times when we're, it's going to hurt. There's probably a lot of times when it's going to be really difficult. Again, on a personal relationship, if you're dealing with an alcoholic who's a member of the family, for example, and you may one, one day want to kick him out and throw him out and hope never to see him again, you know, but you, but you know you can't do that because he's still family. Mm. And it's the same thing that we've got to bring. So it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be a walk in the park, obviously. But what it is going to be is that it's going to make us better people. 
It's mm. going to make us the kind of people that we were meant to be. It's going to make us the kind of people that uh, we were given the gift for. It also has, and the dialogue is really important, the acceptance of people the way they are. And we have to be courageous. We can't, same old, same old doesn't exist anymore. And anybody listening or thinking about same old, same old, you got to change that. you got to challenge that. We have a job. We have a responsibility to challenge those, those people who are trying to do same old, same old. Same old, same old got us where we are here. So we, if we want to change, if we're serious about reconciliation, then we challenge those kind of things. We have to respect each other. We have to tell each other things that we don't want to hear sometimes. And again, all around the personal relationships, that's what happens. But mm. now we got to do it to sometimes strangers. Sometimes well, we got to reach out to strangers, you know? I think that the the whole idea of reconciliation is that there's there is something there to be reconciled, and that is the the traumas and the hurt and the the pain that has been caused by like to give people a little bit of history or background if they're not familiar. I know that the uh, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission uh, has been a big part of the United Church of Canada, and they've really strongly supported it. But across Canada, it's been something that's going, been going on for many years. I think it started 10 or 12 years ago, to, like around 2007 or so. Um, and the government has put a lot of work into, um, you know, going across the country and, and listening, which is such an important part of it, but hearing from thousands of people and, and witnesses and, and hearing those, those stories. Um, what is it to you, in your mind, Paul, what is it that we're trying to reconcile? And how do we do that? Well, there's, there's, you know, one, one of the things that, that I have been telling people because I believe it is that our relationship with non-Indigenous people is based on contact. At contact, there was two doctrines. One was the doctrine of discovery. Doctrine of Discovery basically says these are not Christians, you can do whatever you want with them. The Doctrine of Terra Nilis basically said they did not recognize us as people at that time. So we were not people. So you, again, you can do anything you want with those people. And, and, and you know, there's historians, archaeologists, and anthropologists will tell you that as many as 100 million people have been killed in the Americas since contact. First of all, we have to acknowledge the Holocaust that happened in North America. And, and that is painful. We'd like to believe that our ancestors were better than that. Mm. And we have to also accept that a lot of those people who did these things were Christians. And, and, and until, until we accept those things as part of history, we're still going to have a difficult time. Because, and, and those are painful ones. Those are not easy facts to think about. And so that's what we're talking about. That's what the indigenous people are talking about, is that that was our history. What has happened since then, institutions, Almost everything, policy, public policies, government, corporations, are built to protect those two doctrines. 
And so that's why to this day, if indigenous people try to stand up their rights, the police brings them down because they're, they're against the everything that has been set up to this point. Right. So, it's it's systemically built into the the cultural systems and, and things that we have in place that are that our country's built on. So it's it's not a simple thing to just acknowledge it and apologize and and then go back to living in that system that's still oppressing and still marginalizing and still and still holding a thumb on those people. Yes, and, and you know the churches have to also realize that like I said earlier, they probably did the most damage because they went after our spirituality. They tried to destroy mm. our spirituality. What people all over the world have found is you can't destroy people's spirituality. You just can't. That, no. you know, the only way you'll do that is if you wipe them all out. Because as long as they're alive, there's a spirit there and there's a resilience of the spirit yeah. that they cannot do away with. And then, and then what the churches have to do also is not just reach out to their own congregation or their own membership. They have to reach out to all indigenous people. And as far as I know, like you said, it's been you know, 12, 13 years since all this started. No church has ever reached out to me. You know, and, and part of me don't care because this is not about the church. But but part of me is saying, if they're treating me like that, how are they treating other indigenous people? Mm. And those are the kind of stuff that, 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 that I think we have to uh, deal with if we're serious about reconciliation. Mm. I also think that it's there's an easy, there's a temptation to take this easy path of, well, it, you know, this these wrongs that were committed, it wasn't... It wasn't me that did it, and you know, it was if it was a hundred years ago, even fifty or sixty years ago, with or uh, more recent examples of the the wrongs that were committed during the residential schools. Um, it's easy to kind of wash our hands of that and say, "Well, I I wasn't behind that. I wasn't a part of that. I wasn't I wasn't complicit in that." Um, but I think that there is a certain level of of privilege that we we walk through life with as non-indigenous people in Canada, that we are the benefactors of oppression that has, that has occurred. And to some extent we, we do have to own that, that we're part of that system still. And Mm -hmm. that that history is, is part of our story. Yes. You know, uh, unfortunately we as Canadians like to believe that history of the Americas happened at contact. They do not believe that there was a whole bunch of people living here already. And uh, they had civilization that compared and even surpassed London and Paris at that time. They, you know, they really believed that there was nobody here. That we came here and there was nothing, so we took the land. And, and that, that was the story we had, that we were the bad people. All the movies you see, you know, that it was always we were the bad people. So mm-hmm. those are and 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 those are like like you say, like you say that it was six hundred years ago since contact and and uh, we're sorry and let's move on. 
And and you know, again, you know, what about your your own training as uh, religious people? Is it that easy to forgive? Is it that easy to forget? You know, I I would call it cheap cheap grace, cheap forgiveness. And is that good enough? Well, I think part of um, part of our faith uh, within the context or history of Christianity is that we are we are called to forgive. We're called to love our enemy, but we're called to live out that forgiveness. That it's not just about words or an apology. We're you know in in loving your neighbor or that golden rule of loving others as you would want to be treated. It's all about living out that love, not just saying the right thing. Yeah, and, and if people do that, then we're on the right trail. But it's so much easier to say than to do, right? It, the, the, the action that needs to follow. It's like right now, all over the media is the current um, uh, protesting going on and the Black Lives Matter uh, movement that's, that's getting so much attention right now, which is so needed. Um, you, you, you keep hearing over and over again that it's that, you know, putting your fist in the air or taking a knee or whatever these, these symbols are of support, they're just symbols and that the symbol needs to be followed by action. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, you know, unfortunately, uh, we're, we're so used to the system right now. Um, even though it doesn't favor a lot of people, it favors a few people. We're so used to it right now that anybody challenges us, uh, uh, talks to us about it, we dismiss. And anybody puts up their fists, we have to bring out the police. You know, and unfortunately, we're at that place where we were not ready to have that dialogue on some really deep-seated issues. And um, and again, that I personally I think that it, that's part of reconciliation. Like I said, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be long, and we're going to disagree. We might not like each other in the process, you know. But but you know, think about it as a divorce. You know, <laughs> you don't want to get a divorce. So how do we make it work? Well, I think there's also a lot of uh, a lot of shame there that that um, it's so much easier to to not even look at it, not even deal with it, not even open the dialogue because it is so revolting. It's so, it, it, it's so disgusting. The, the, the truth of the matter, when you actually um, let yourself look at, you know, this is what happened. This is how our indigenous people in, in this country were treated um, at first contact hundreds of years ago, yes, and also in the last 600 years since then, there's still been, and, and still is today, ongoing discrimination and prejudice and um, treatment of our Indigenous people that it, it's not something that we want to admit, right? And so recognizing and acknowledging that it's even true and that it's even, that it's happened, how can a person look at that and, and not respond with, a feeling of shame and, and guilt. Yeah. And, and, and that's why it's so important that we at least have the, the dialogue because mm -hmm. we got to start it somewhere. And, and uh, we got to, we got to 
here are some bad things, you know. One of the things that indigenous people have to do with ourselves is how do we reconcile about ourselves? Mm. You know, and, and, and that's a tough one too. You know, a, a lot of anger over the years that indigenous have had, it has been internalized. Mm. So we hurt ourselves, we hurt our brothers and sisters, we hurt our communities, because every time we go after you guys, you beat us up, you shoot us. So we have to take it out on our own people. Mm. So we have our own reconciliation to do with, to deal with, and and that that is a tough one too. So so we're all in a tough situation, you know. But but that's where um, vigilance, courage comes in because um, you know, and 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 you know, we're not alone in this. Yeah. And what I'm really hearing from you, Paul, is that this this is not a political process. It's not a this is not something that's done um, on Parliament Hill. This is not something that's going to be done through um, you know a motion of Parliament and some paperwork and a new policy. this this process of reconciliation, the act of reconciling, is something that's not just done at a leadership level. It's something that all of us need to wrestle with and all of us need to engage in because otherwise, how can it actually create meaningful change um, that's, that will uh, impact everyone? If, if it's just, you know, the, the Dene Nation elders make, uh, have some discussion and make some decisions and, okay, yeah, we've, we've, we've gone through, we've reconciled, then it hasn't impacted all of the people of that community or of that culture. And it's the same with the non-Indigenous side. If if we just look to Trudeau to, you know, to sort out the, uh, to finish up this Truth and Reconciliation Commission process and, yeah, make some decisions and, and pass it through Parliament, that's meaningless if it doesn't, if it's not involved the the population, right? Yes, and, and you're, you're, you're not living up to your gift. If you, if you if you don't do those things and and like I said earlier this is personal and you have to personalize it and you have to do some other things you know and that's what I try to do is that uh, yeah so they're having a hard time in the states well what do I do mm. how am I reaching out to that black person or somebody who's hurting beyond the official process of, of truth and reconciliation and how the government or how the United Church of Canada or other religious structures might be um, grappling with that, there, I think there are some things that, some tangible things, some, some practical things that, that individual people can do and that groups, faith groups or communities can do. And I know our, our community of faith here um, has uh, done things like observing Indigenous um, People's Day um, every summer, or having including uh, elders in a church service on a Sunday morning and sharing some of that their uh, stories and some of their wisdom, some of their spirituality, and things like the blanket exercise that I'm sure you're familiar with. There's a group I think they're named uh, Kairos or K- yeah, Kairos, yeah, Kairos. So they've yeah. um, they've got people who are trained in conducting these workshops, and we had someone come to Basha here and in the basement of our 
our church, we, we had the blanket exercise and there was, I think, 25 or 30 people that were there. And it, it was um, really impactful for people who participated because it was, you were, you were participating in something, you know, you were, you were experientially learning it. It wasn't just reading about it or, um, you know, seeing something on social media. We were gathering together and which is of course harder to do right now um, with the pandemic and everything. But um, what are some, some other things maybe that, that I'm not aware of or listeners aren't aware of that you could offer to suggest that people can, can actually do and take action? Well, some of the things that that we've encouraged people in the North to do, for example, is that there's feasts and drum dances going on. Go, Go out to those. And they're always welcoming people. They're always opening doors. And and a lot of times you don't have to bring anything. There's not a potluck. They will feed <laughs> you, I promise you. And dance. Dance. Have fun with those people. You don't always have to cry with them. You don't always have to preach with them. You don't always have mm. to do all those. Dance with them. Enjoy an evening with them. And And, you know, one of the things that we try to tell people, because a lot of people go out on the land, is go out on the land with them and, and spend a couple of days. Because one of the things that in the north anyways, a lot of people, indigenous people go out on the land, that's where they're at their best. Hmm. And if you want to see indigenous people at their best, go out on the land with them. And, and you know, try to learn a language or two. Maybe just phrases, maybe, how are you? That, you know, small one, even something that short mm. makes a big difference that to the person, when you say, you say, this person is trying. Can you, can you slow yeah. that down for me, Paul, and say it again slower? Nega Gantuke? No, that Very wasn't quite close, right. Yeah, it was yeah. close? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'll write it out and email it to you. That'd be great. Yeah, but but you know, even even any kind of language, learn a small language. There are sewing groups. Go to sewing groups. So learn to sew with them. In Yellowknife we have camps that teach young people how some of the traditional stuff. Go out to those camps. You know, there's so many little things that you could do with these people. You know, and uh, and and what what I think indigenous people want from non-indigenous people is just see us, not in the bars, not at the stores, but out on the land. You know, see us at our homes. You know, we might bike. <laughs> we might not be in a biting mood that day, too. <laughs> well, it, what I love about your answer to that, Paul, is that it's it's no different than if I had asked you, Paul, how do you build a relationship with someone? You know, the, this act of reconciliation, it's so easy to look at that and think, okay, so so how do we heal the wounds? How do we apologize the right way? How do we say sorry in just the right way that, that we can erase this from our history books. Well, you know what? We can't. We can't erase it. It happened. So really, we're looking at those of us who are alive today, how do we rebuild those relationships? And it comes back to things that you said earlier, 
opening up dialogue, um, experiential learning, learning through doing something together, whether it's going out for a walk in nature or learning something about the Indigenous relationship with the natural world or some of those cultural uh, and traditional elements of, um, of Indigenous culture, like sewing or the dancing and the music and all of those important pieces of, their, of your culture. Like, I, I love that I'm hearing from you that, that there's this openness and this invitation for non-Indigenous people to, to experience some of that culture. Yes, and, and that's, that's, that, that's probably the best way. Again, what we're doing is building relationships eh? mm-hmm. and, and, and accepting each other the way we are. Just like, for example, if, if I decide to get married to somebody, she might have a history. So what? I'm not marrying the history. I'm marrying that person today. Hmm. I love that person today, who she is today. You know, so the his, history, good or bad, ugly, that's not that's not what I'm marrying. And the same thing with the relationship that we're building is 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 that you know we're building something better for our children. So that our children don't have to go through the same kind of stuff that we went through. Absolutely. You know, and, and I don't know your history, but does it matter? You tell me. Yeah, I think I, I think I used to believe that it that it did a lot more than I do now. That I used to think that all of the stuff that happened to me in my life bef- uh, in my you know, in my in my years of growing up that, that that those were this intrinsic part of my identity. And I think they influence who we are. Um, they influence our our out, our worldview. They influence our behavior and our beliefs and our outlook and our thoughts. But really, it's not who I am. That's just kind of stuff that happened. And so, yeah, I, I, the analogy of the building a relationship like a marriage uh, is so perfect because it, it doesn't matter the stuff that that's part of that other person's history. Yeah, you'd want to... I think for me, I would want to to know everything, but it's not you're like you said. You're not in relationship with the history and the stuff that happened. You're in relationship with the person. Yes, and 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 that's one of the things that I think that we try to do, and and try to talk about uh, reconciliation, so that whoever asks, we be there, because mm-hmm. that's what the elders would say. You have an obligation, you know, mm-hmm. because. That's that's what we're talking about today. We're trying to build a better future, you know. And and one of the things that I think is is that is that if you ask me, I'm going to believe that it's honorable. Now, if you ask me to go rob a bank, I might not think that same way. <laughs> so, but you're not asking me to rob a bank. You're asking me to talk about reconciliation. And about what it means to be a Dene, what it means to be a person that I am today, with the hope that you would understand not only me, but other people like me. And and for me, that's what the discussion is about. It's not about our apartheid system where we build reserves for people and put them out of sight. It's not about that anymore. Because that's way back when. 
Well, that's a beautiful outlook, Paul, and I I really want to thank you for giving me the benefit of the doubt and being so open to that invitation to talking about it because um I've I've had limited amounts of of discussion and conversation and dialogue about reconciliation and about indigenous culture and any time that I'm exposed to it I find it fascinating and I'm intrigued by it and um I have just a, a great amount of respect and curiosity around it and so everything that you've shared your stories and wisdom and your your own curiosity for your own ongoing learning and seeking more wisdom yourself is really inspiring and thank you ben like i said dialogue is really important and uh, i have a lot of respect for people who try to have dialogue on reconciliation because that's hard it's tough it's not easy and but we know that it could be better yeah. we know that we I, feel it every day we see it on tv we hear it on radio we know it could be better and we also know that it starts with us absolutely well i i agree with you there i think that it it can be better and it needs to be and our our children deserve better so Uh, Thank you so much, Paul, for for taking the time to share some of your story with me, some of your spiritual journey with me and wisdom, and to just open up this this conversation today. And and not just with me, but with everybody listening. And so you're you're reaching a lot more than than just one person today. And I I really want to acknowledge you for for your uh, vulnerability and sharing so so generously. Thank you, Ben. I also want to encourage um, people listening to to continue that dialogue by learning more, by listening to to other people who who speak about um, uh, who speak about truth and reconciliation, and anyone who speaks about indigenous culture in Canada. There's there's so many resources out there. Paul, do you have any places that you would point people to go uh, either online and, and learn more, or even just in their own communities anywhere in Canada? Well, the library is good. There's a lot of books on on um, indigenous issues, and uh, I'll send you some some sites that you can check out as far as reconciliation goes. That would be great. I'd really appreciate that, and I'll include those links in the notes on on the podcast. So, okay. um, yeah, thank you again, Paul, for coming on today, and thanks everybody for listening. And until next time on Six Ways from Sunday, take care and be well. <laughs>